Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Okay, so here we go. What book are we in in the Bible? And do you have your Bible with you? Yes, Yes, good, good, good. Okay, just a short passage, a kickoff passage in Acts, and then we're going to go to a, a passage where we have the man in Acts we've been looking at, whose name is Saul. We're going to go to another passage that This man wrote about 25 years later when he had taken on the name, been given both the title and the name of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to bring that together in a way that hopefully will prepare our hearts for this communion time. So let me just begin, and this is not a mistake. For those who are betting the over and under today... You know, for the last couple of weeks, we've had an over and under working in our church, unofficially, of course. <laughs> Vegas doesn't know anything about it. But there's been an over and under at play here. How many times will Pastor Mark call Saul by the name Paul? Now, I know there is a, there's a secret number out there that's been assigned, but let me tell you, in this first sentence of the message, you don't earn a point, because I'm going to use the name Paul intentionally, so here we go. There has never been another person like the Apostle Paul. He almost single-handedly established the framework for the Christian church. Saul, years earlier, was confronted powerfully by the exalted Lord Jesus himself and dramatically called into ministry. That took place on the Damascus Road, on the road to Damascus. We looked at that. We've seen how Jesus appeared to him and just powerfully knocked him to the ground. Saul was absolutely transfixed. He was blinded. And he recognized he was in the presence of God. And he said, Lord, what would you have me do? That's when his name was Saul and when he was a persecutor of the church. He never forgot that moment. Once he became known as the Apostle Paul, he talked about that moment again and again and again. That moment, he was called by Jesus Christ to become a servant of Jesus to the world, especially to the Gentile world. And so as we look back and over his entire life, the Apostle Paul was used to start churches all through the Roman world. He was inspired to write 13 and possibly, depending on what you think about the book of Hebrews, possibly 14 of the 27 books in our New Testament. He, the Apostle Paul, suffered for Christ like no one else in his time or since. He spoke passionately and persuasively. He ministered tirelessly. 
And we could say he articulated the key doctrines of the Christian faith flawlessly. Now the question is, as far as we know, before the Apostle Paul became the Apostle Paul, before he was confronted on the road, when he as Saul was trying to destroy the church, the, the question is, how did he come to know anything about Jesus? The book of Acts never tells us. The Gospels don't have Saul's name in it anywhere. And the book of Acts doesn't say, now Saul used to listen in on Jesus' messages and that's how he knew he was a fraud. Doesn't say that. As far as we can tell, as unlikely as it seems, living in the same place at the same time, in the same faith, the Jewish faith, still it seems like this Saul character who was so focused on arising in the Jewish faith and becoming a, a Pharisee and, and learning everything so flawlessly, being a student, he was pretty ignorant of this guy Jesus. Except he knew the chief priests had found Jesus to be a blasphemer. And they had condemned him to death. And there's no question but what Saul absolutely agreed with their judgment. Later on, the chief priests, they would make the same judgment, really, about this man called Stephen. And Saul would stand there while the angry leaders of the Jews stoned Stephen to death. Saul would have cheered at the cross. So the question is, I'm saying once he became known as the Apostle Paul, he actually articulated the key doctrines of our faith. And yet as far as we know, he never heard Jesus say a word. Never listened to the Sermon on the Mount. Probably didn't read any of the Gospels for heaven's sakes, even if they had come into print by that time. So how did this one who hated Jesus just as an idea, just as a political problem, how did he become so knowledgeable about Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus' death, Jesus' purpose? How could he write such doctrinal books? Where did he get all of that? Well, the scriptures we're going to read today tell us. I heard a rather loud whisper just a moment ago that said, the Holy Spirit did. It was the Holy Spirit. Well, let's read. Let's see what the Apostle Paul, as he's sharing his story later on, probably 25 years later on, how he says he learned all this stuff. First off, we'll start in our key scripture here. Today is just Acts chapter 9. Verses 18 to 19, just to remind us where we were the last couple weeks. And after Saul was blinded, remember, he was led by the hand into Damascus. And then the Lord Jesus got a true believer, Ananias by name, to go and actually pray for Saul that he'd get his eyesight back. And if any a man ever functioned by sheer faith, even surrounded by terror, it was Ananias. And he comes and puts his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. And here we pick up the story. It says, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. 
meeting Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus answered all the questions Saul ever had about Jesus Christ. Turned everything he thought about Jesus Christ upside down. And he said, he is the Lord. He is raised from the dead. And besides, when he said, who are you? The voice speaking to him said, I am Jesus. Now, Jesus ought to know who he was. Saul couldn't deny that. And so Jesus is the one who appeared to him. Jesus is the one who displayed this divine glory. Jesus is the one who knocked him to the ground. Jesus is the one who took charge of his life. And Paul, in Saul, in a sense, see, there's one. Saul, in a sense, said, I'm yours. I'm yours, Lord. What would you have me do? And the story began. Now it says he got up, he was baptized, confessed faith in Jesus Christ, just like all the other disciples in Damascus had done. And after taking some food, because Luke tells us he went three days without food or water while he was in this almost frozen state. And it says he regained his strength. And then Luke says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. How many days? Several. several. What would be your guess several would be? Seven. Seven? Good. Thirty? I remember I once got scored badly on a test in school because the question said, list several reasons for whatever it was. Might have been a Bible exam in seminary, actually. I listed two. I thought they were brilliant answers. I thought they summed up the whole thing. There was nothing more to say. I get my test back and it says, you do not understand the word several. <laughs> several as a minimum is free. Because you got your basic one, then you got your couple, and then several starts after two. And so, having been a college lit major, I had to concede the professor's point and take the grade. So at least Paul spent how many days there? Three would be minimum, right? Several days just getting his strength back. So we'll let it just stop there. It doesn't say he stayed there for a couple of years. Several days. Now, if you jump over in your Bible to the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians that Paul wrote, now 25 or so years later, he's telling them how this all came about. How did he learn the truths of the gospel? How did he learn the very things that he had taught to them when he established the church that they are part of? And he says this, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached, see, he had already years or some time ago preached to them the gospel. They had come to Christ, and he's now referring back to that ministry he had. He said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man. So nobody taught me this stuff. No man. Nor was I taught it, 
Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people, and I was extremely jealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Now, in, in the story we're reading in Acts, Luke doesn't mention anything about this interlude. He just tells us Paul spent several days there, kind of a hint that, uh, that it wasn't a long stay, but then the very next verse talks about Saul's ministry in Damascus. So you say, well, that doesn't completely match up. Several days, but then he had quite an extensive ministry there. Well, here Paul is saying, right after those several days, as I first became functional again, I went into Arabia. Now, Arabia is a large, large province, a Roman province, which would be to the east of Damascus and to the east of the Holy Land. We're not sure where exactly in Arabia he went, but it's mostly desert. It's a little bit like a spiritual retreat. And he says, while I was there, I received this gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, just those scriptures we've read this morning, there's three key insights I'd want to share with you, and then we'll move right on into a time of communion with our Savior. The first one is this. Paul says, God chose to reveal his son, that is Jesus, in Saul. He didn't say God revealed it to me. He didn't even say through me. He says, God revealed his son in me. That's Galatians 1, 15 and 16. When God, he says, who separated me, called me from my mother's womb. When God was pleased to reveal his son in me. That's pretty interesting. Later on, Paul would write in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, now, testimony, I am crucified with Christ, and I, the old Saul for sure, I no longer live, but Christ lives where? In me. God revealed his son in me, like Jesus somehow has taken up residence in me. The truth about him has been placed in me. And the life of Christ is being seen in me. Now, as I was pondering just that short statement this week, I was struck with this thought. Never thought about it quite this way before. There's a distinction between Saul, the Apostle Paul, and Peter and John and all the rest. Even the words that are used. Peter and the other apostles, the twelve, 
and we would include James, the brother of Jesus, here too. They were witnesses. And to some degree, they were the only ones who could witness to the things they witnessed to. In fact, only three of them, Peter, James, and John, could witness to what they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Only the twelve, in fact, Judas is gone now, they chose Matthias to join up in that twelfth spot, and they said, anyone who takes Judas's place must have been with us from the very beginning, so that this one is also a witness, has seen with his own eyes what we have seen. So they were witnesses. Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in all the earth. Being a witness wasn't the new thing. It was in all the earth that was the new thing. They were witnesses as only they could be. They stood alone on the earth, those apostles. They declared and recorded what they had seen and heard with their own eyes and their own ears. There would never, ever again be anyone like them. They were with the physical Jesus on this physical earth. For three years they were. Paul. Paul, on the other hand, we could say, was a demonstration. He could not witness to anything about Jesus Christ. He was not called as a witness. He wasn't sent as a witness. Jesus never said to him, Paul, go tell people what you have seen me do. He couldn't say that. Paul hadn't seen any of those things. What Paul was, in contrast to the other apostles, what Paul was, was a personal demonstration of what a born-again believer is to be. What a born-again believer could be. What all of us are called to be. Born-again human beings filled with the very spirit of Jesus. God revealed his son in me. That's what God does to every child of God, everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, everyone who's been born again and the Spirit of God comes into them and the life of Christ begins to be formed in them and, and there's a sense in which each of us has Christ, his life, in us for other people to notice. Though we never walked with Jesus, and we cannot witness to what we saw or what we heard. Paul was the first, well, the first apostle like that. You see, born-again human beings filled with the very spirit of Jesus, human beings of whom it could be said and should be said, Jesus Christ lives in them. Jesus Christ. I see Jesus in them. Paul would share that truth in almost every single letter he wrote. But for today, suffice it to say that Paul himself recognized that he was chosen to be this very special kind of human being. A human witness, a human being whose witness comes from the abiding presence of the Spirit of God within him, a human being who was a living demonstration of the Lord Jesus himself. 
As we said in a preaching series some years ago, we are all to be mirror images of Jesus. Paul would agree. Here's now a second insight arising from this brief testimony. Two, God planned this work from the moment of Saul's birth. Paul says in Galatians 1.15, God set me apart from birth and called me by his grace. We sang about grace this morning. You see, no Jew, no Jew could utter those words. God called me from birth and set me apart. No Jew could utter those words without thinking, well, that's just what our God does. That's what he's always done. He chooses people from birth, maybe even before birth, to accomplish the purposes that he has for them. Case in point, how about the great, the great lawgiver Moses himself? God chose him from birth, didn't he? And God saved him from death, didn't he? How did God save baby Moses? Yeah, put him in a little basket in a river and because all the Jew babies were supposed to be killed by the Pharaoh said all the boy babies should be killed and here Moses was a boy baby and his mother kept him for a while while she nursed him but then eventually put him in a little basket and just let him float down the river Nile and prayed that God would care for him. And the daughter of the Pharaoh found him the same way that you might find a little kitten or a puppy alongside the road and say, oh, I've got to take them home. <laughs> and she took him home and named him Moses. The word means was drawn out of the water. Moses was chosen by God from birth and protected from death. And then 80 years later, Moses was called by God at the burning bush. So anybody that heard Paul talk this way would say, you know, our God does that. He did it with Moses. How about with Samuel? Samuel's mother, who could not have a baby and prayed and prayed and prayed that she would have a baby, she dedicated her baby as he was on his way she dedicated him to God before he was born. And she placed him in God's service when he was but a mere baby. You see, Paul, this one who's going to become a great, uh, a great theologian of the Christian faith, Paul would later write to the Ephesian believers that all of them, all of them, he would say it to us if he were here, all of you, were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Forget about from birth. From the birth of this universe, you, I, were chosen in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. So after reflecting upon these things for a lifetime, the Apostle Paul could clearly see how that Damascus Road experience was a key part of God's larger plan. Paul had been chosen long before he ever fully surrendered. 
And now to further establish his connection to that centuries-long plan and procedures of God, Paul testifies to the manner in which he received the message that he then spent the rest of his life declaring. His message, his message was received differently than the way the other apostles had received theirs. Paul's message was not just a reiteration of what they said about Jesus and his ministry. So Paul, he did not spend his ministry just quoting Peter or quoting John or any of the others. He says, our third insight of the morning, it says, God arranged for Jesus himself to reveal the glories of the gospel to Saul. Galatians 1, 16, 17 again. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I went into Arabia. And then he says, I received the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. Can't you just imagine what that would have been like? Paul, Paul doesn't tell us how Jesus sat down with him. Did Jesus appear in the flesh? Did Jesus appear in the glorious light that he did on the Damascus road and say, Saul, I'm back. Not going to strike you deaf or dumb today. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to pour into you all of the truths that you're going to need to share with the world so that sinful people can find forgiveness of their sins. And to do that, Paul... I'm going to have to tell you, this is why I came. And this is why I suffered and died. And he sat there, and, and the Lord Jesus, in one way or another, just walked him through all the important stuff. And my goodness, you read Paul's letters now, and they're just filled with explanations of why Jesus had to come. And how he came, and how he left the glories of heaven, didn't hold on to his divine prerogative, but emptied himself. Paul's the one who tells us that. Paul's the one who, who tells us how, how God the Father took Jesus Christ, who was innocent, and put all the wrath of God upon him, and God made him, who had no sin, to actually become sin for us, so that we might receive the righteousness that was his. Where would Paul get a notion like that? Except Jesus himself told him. The apostles who walked with Jesus, their story was all about Jesus, what he taught, what he said, his miracles, his resurrection, powerful things that we need to know. But not too many of them had all this understanding of what the death of Jesus really meant, how it forgave sins, how God the Father accepted this and that. You read the letters of Paul and it's like, man, it's all spelled out there. Jesus told him those things. That's what Paul says. I was received the gospel of salvation that Paul spent the rest of his life preaching. He received it by revelation, not having seen it with his own eyes, not figuring it out in his own mind, but received it by revelation from Jesus himself. Is it any wonder 
Paul could write in his great letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, he could write these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This good news I preach, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Not everyone who lives good enough to please God. Not everyone who comes to some understanding of, uh, of something. But to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And that his death on the cross meant something. His death on the cross accomplished something. Our faith is in his sacrifice for us. Paul says, and I'm not ashamed to tell you that. Not at all. It's the only way. It's the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's like, how in the world can I ever be right with God? If there is a God, then he's way above me, and I fall way short of whatever it was that he was thinking I would be. How can I ever be right with God? And Paul would say, let me tell you. Let me tell you, it's all wrapped up in the good news I preach every day. There's a righteousness from God. A gift from God, not one that you attain, but a gift from God in the message that I preach. And that gift comes by putting your faith and trust in the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. And that means giving yourself to him. Letting him be your Lord. Not just a religious notion in your head, not accepting a couple of facts and truths, but making him the Lord of your life, for he's God. And when you do that, when you put your faith in him, when you believe in him, the very one that God the Father sent into this world, you shall be saved. There's righteousness in that belief. And Paul says, and Jesus told me that. Jesus told me that, and I'm never going to doubt it. I conferred with no human being. I went into the hinterland, into Arabia for however long, and Jesus himself brought to me an understanding and a beautiful big picture of how God had planned to bring salvation to human beings. What a thing. What a thing. You know, we can, we can just imagine when Jesus initiated that conversation. Can't you imagine the first thing that Jesus covered with him was just like the first thing Jesus covered with Peter? Peter had denied the Lord. Peter had given up. Peter was distraught. And, and Jesus, in meeting with Peter, he assures Peter, there's still a place in the work for you. I'm still going to use you and use you mightily to serve me. Can't you believe that's the first thing Jesus would communicate to a man like Saul, who actually stood there while one of Jesus' own believers was stoned to death? Saul would have been so filled with guilt. And yet here's Jesus Christ somehow communicating to him that, Saul, you are a man of my choosing. I forgive you for what you've done. And I'm, I'm calling you to a great work, to a great work. And then, and then Jesus begins to talk to him. 
and Jesus' words combined with Saul's great mind and Saul's vast biblical knowledge, he would be like the finest of clay in the hand of the perfect potter. And Jesus could shape him into someone who would change the world and would lay a foundation, a framework for the, for the truth of the Christian faith that nobody else could do. What a marvelous thing. God had chosen Saul and prepared him for this very purpose. The master was Saul's mentor. That's our final thought. It says there's no mentor like the master. Come to Christ with an open heart, with a receptive mind. Commune with him this morning. That's what communion does for us. Communion is a moment in time where we, like Saul, are almost out there in Arabia. And it's just us and Jesus. Because Jesus said, he who eats my flesh, he who drinks of my blood, he abides with me. And I with him. And in that moment, there is a connection with the Son of God, our Savior, that nothing else can provide. And when you open yourself up to it completely, there's a, obviously there's truth we receive, but there's a, there's a connection that is made that causes us to go home and say more surely than ever before, he is my Lord, he is my Savior. I give everything to him and I want to serve him and please him and tell others of him. Certainly Paul Paul came back from Arabia and he served the Lord for the rest of his life and we'll, we'll follow that story through. But today, just know that the Apostle Paul forever is unique, unique from all others in the way God has prepared him and used him and passes on to us the very, and calls us to be just like him if we can, let Jesus Christ be seen in us, that we become a kind of gospel just by being here and following faithfully. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the way you have set things up for us, the way that Jesus is building his church and has built his church, we are told the foundation is Jesus Christ and the first layer of work was the apostles and the prophets. Oh, Father, the Apostle Paul is a great, great part of that, that beginning, a bringer of truth that we rely upon. Father, fill us with that truth. Fill us with a sense that by your Holy Spirit, Christ is being formed in us. We don't just talk about Jesus, we actually show Jesus by the way we live our lives. Father, forgive us for sins that have come into us. Forgive us for, for missing the point. Father, help us to be faithful demonstrations of Christ even as we stand upon those who have been witnesses of Christ with their own eyes, with their own ears. Thank you for them. 
and just continue to build us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.